Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today I'm excited to host Brad Seaman. Brad is an opportunist, a two-times founder, and a pioneer in the tech-enabled services space. Currently, he serves as the host of the Decision Point podcast and a CEO of Monster Connect. Monster Connect helps to accelerate lead generation for B2B sales organizations through a consistent stream of live phone connections with decision-making prospects. With their unmatched blend of fast dialing and routing technology, efficient outbound prospecting service, and a scalable community of live agents, Monster Connect is able to deliver a week's worth of prospecting in just one hour. This is with nearly 40% better results than their competitors. As you'll see today, Brad is extremely passionate about sales and sales operations, and we dive heavily into both topics today. Enjoy the show. Hello, Brad. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Ah, I'm super excited. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do this. Awesome. I was on your show just, I think, a month ago now, so I'm excited to turn the tables a little bit and uh, get you to talk about my topics. Yeah, I know the last couple of times we've talked, I feel like I've been peppering you with lots of lots of curious questions. So I love I'm, sure it. You're, I'm sure you're ready to ready to turn the tables. It's my turn now. Yes. I love it, though. It speaks to your curiosity of your personality, like always learning and you ask good questions. So I think it's great. All right. Well, cool. I'm, I'm uh, excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. I want to start with kind of the theme of most of my shows, which are around digital transformation, but in the context of the world that you live and play in, because you have a tech company, but you really serve the sales and marketing ecosystem. So I want to get your perspective on where you've seen digital transformation to date within sales and marketing and how you're leading that change as well. Yeah. So, so I think the biggest change has been the introduction to tools. So there's no doubt that sales in itself has changed. So, you know, probably around 2005, six HubSpot comes out and they are um, pushing this concept or idea that the world of sales is going to change and that people are going to come inbound and not outbound. And uh, the world has definitely changed um, for sure. And I think some of their predictions were, uh, were true. Uh, I think it was right for them to banner some of those. Some of them were not true, but essentially what they what they started saying was, "Hey, we believe um, that the way people buy because of technology is going to drastically change um, several things. One of those things is how much knowledge the buyer has. So pre, let's just call it pre two thousands. Yeah, buyers are coming into sales cycles without a lot of knowledge, and so they're really having to rely on their their salespeople." Um, for that knowledge. So that obviously changes with the internet, right? Um, the other thing that I think changes is, um, particularly as it pertains to, to our product, um, is I would say around 2008, uh, um, particularly when the economy shifted, receptionists, gatekeepers, um, bodies that are typically in the, out, in the uh, at buildings, so you usually have a gate uh, receptionist. So like every receptionist uh, that doesn't have to be there gets let go. Um, because of the recession. And when that happens, it just happened to be on the same tail end of uh, VoIP technology coming into play. And now you have IVRs as substitutes for gatekeepers. So what ends up happening there, what I believe what happened is now you used to call into an organization and someone would pick up and you'd say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And, and somebody would help you get around. Um, that no longer existed. So when you called in, it was like dial one for this, dial two for that. So there was this technology barrier uh, that got introduced that I think affected um, 
the prospecting uh, in the area that we play in, but that definitely made a huge change uh, along with a variety of other introductions. But over the last 20 years, I mean, there's been a significant number of um, transfer, uh, just digital introduction. Let's call them digital introductions. So sales loft and outreach, um, this idea that you're going to be able to manage uh, the prospecting and sales process um, introduction to multiple, you know, CRM is a new, uh, the, what CRM is today has obviously evolved over the last 10 or 15 years, 20 years. Um, I heard a really good talk by uh, one of the technical founders um, in the, uh, Salesforce, and they were talking about the initial idea was, hey, we just wanted to make sure that um, if somebody on the sales team got hit by a bus, we had the contact list. And it was really a, a list management product. And so over the last 20 years, that's evolved, right? So now you have Salesforce's, um, has a variety of um, things that it accomplishes in a, in a, for a sales team. So there's been a lot, you know, 20 years, um, you know, the, I guess I've been in the space for, for 15, 15 years, 16 years, and um, it's changed a lot. That's good. I like I think the problem specifically that you've solved too, and I want to get to like how you find found it first and how you've like pinpointed to really go towards it. But back to, you were talking about these gatekeepers and now they're like IVRs and it's so true. Like nobody wants to be on the phone. Nobody likes to be cold called, but because people do it less and less, it's also becoming a more effective way to get to folks. So from the monster connect perspective and what you guys are building there, what made you realize like, Hey, we've got to make this phone interaction more effective. We've got to get past gatekeepers. We've got to get past his IVRs because there's still revenue there. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement. I think people don't like people who don't do their homework. So um, yeah. if you're in a, if you're in a class, I mean, just in general, that's, I think that's why people gripe about wanting things to be personalized is they simply don't like people um, that don't do their homework. And so what I think happens is when we think about um, particularly in sales. So my wife's a nurse. Um, there's a handful of medical terms that are kind of junk terms for everything. So like COPD is one of those things. So any undiagnosed lung uh, issue that they can't diagnose within 12 months becomes COPD. And that's what it just anything. They don't know what it is. They call it COPD. And I think the same thing happens with um, sales is there's a handful of kind of these inter these terms that we just sort of junk together. So when we think about sales, you know, sales as a, um, an occupation is made up of a bunch of stuff at this point, right? You've got account reps, uh, account managers, you've got revenue operations, you've got prospecting, you've got sales, closers, farmers, you have all these different practices that are really rolled up into this, um, into this idea of sales. And um, phone prospecting specifically, when we think about cold calling, I think it gets a really bad rap because um, uh, people immediately have connotations to it. And um, ultimately, uh, cold calling is anything, anybody that doesn't know you're calling them, I would say anybody that doesn't know you're calling them um, is probably cold, right? Anybody you don't know. But I think the real issue with why people don't like to get cold calls is um, they don't like people who don't do their homework. I think that's a big, uh, I think that's a big issue. Um, and, and we have done our, I think salespeople have done themselves a disservice by not prepping when they call somebody. And I, and I give you, I'll give you an example. Um, there's probably a variety of things 
that you could write down that are really important to you. If somebody called you about those things, you'd probably have a conversation with them. One of them might be podcasting, right? Um, if somebody called you and they knew you had a podcast um, and they'd done a little homework, um, you probably are going to have a conversation with other podcasts because it's something that you're passionate about. But if they call you up and they try to talk to you about um, maybe IT security or something that's not in your uh, scope of uh, consciousness, things that you're thinking about, you're probably not going to talk to that person. And um, so from a phone prospecting scenario, I think the same thing is true. Um, most people don't spend enough time. Um, I sort I, I of think about it like this. I know very few people who are not uh, self-interested. And so if I'm a VP of sales or I'm a VP of marketing or I'm a uh, CIO, I've got two or three things that are on my list that I care about that I just am shocked if you were to call those people and you got those one or if you, if you were able to figure, if you knew what one of those three things were and you called them, they're not going to turn you down. The problem is people randomly call people, which I, I would say there's cold calling and random calling. Random calling does not work. Calling people you don't know definitely works. Calling people randomly does not work. And so I like to sort of think about that um, differently because I just have yet to, I just don't believe um, that um, people aren't interested in things that move the needle for them. Yeah. Like I believe that to my core. Now you get into a whole conversation here about strategy and how do you know, and what's your homework and how do you figure that out? Um, which we can go down that route if you'd like, but, but I, I think that um, when you think about phone prospecting, I think initially, um, uh, you know, people don't like to feel awkward. Um, and so salespeople do a really bad job of making people feel awkward. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why people don't like phone prospecting, me, I think salespeople don't like it. I think a lot of the things that salespeople do uh, um, in, in the vein of saying that trying to help the prospect, they're really trying to help themselves feel more comfortable. So like, hey, I'm going to send you an email before I call you. That's not about the client. The client doesn't care whether they got an email or a phone call first. It's about the, the person making the prospecting call is trying to get themselves comfortable, which makes me laugh but anyways because it feels less intruding less yeah. intruding yeah mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be intrusive. i don't think i don't think phone prospecting has to be intrusive um if you do your homework like if you do your homework um, you make a good point it's not that hard because so many people volunteer so much information about themselves now like a minute on linkedin like i mean google somebody's name pretty quick from my perspective and like if you googled me it wouldn't be like but one or two clicks to figure out I play the drums. <laughs> yeah. well, and there's something right there. Like, Hey, I saw you play drums. Conversation starter. A hundred percent. Now I think the one thing that's really super important is like, if you don't care about drums, you probably shouldn't bring that up. <laughs> that's a good point. Because, because I get a lot of, I get a lot of, and so personal is so relevance and personalization, I think get confused too. It's like, mm -hmm. um, personalization look there's things that help a conversation go better and that's talking about things people are passionate about for sure now whether i would argue should you lead with those things probably not those are like grease on the gears right you want to use those things to help you get through a conversation um but you know when i think about phone prospecting i think about i gotta get this name right 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it because I butchered the guy's name. I I probably use this as an example um, every day, and then I butcher the guy's name. And so I'm gonna make sure I get it. Um, I'm gonna make sure I get it right. So um, here we go, Clayton Christensen. So Clayton Christensen writes a book, and I would say this really formulates most of my thoughts around phone prospecting. And so he wrote a book called um, Competing Against Luck, and he's written several books. He's a Harvard professor. He's passed away, um, and so uh, late at this point, and um, most of these books have been written, I think, kind of up until the 2018s, but they all kind of have the same general theme, which is this idea that they'd come up with around the jobs to be done theory. And are you familiar with the jobs to be done theory? I'm not. Okay. So the jobs to be done theory basically says that um, everyone has a, uh, an evolutionary desire to progress. So we all want to improve from where we're at and we want to move into something else. And they believe that this theory describes, explains a lot of why people do a lot of things. They believe it explains why you go to the church you go to, why you go to the club you might go to, why you play the sports you might play. Um, essentially, everybody has a, a desire to progress. And if they're not progressing, they fire whatever it is that they're using and they hire something else to replace it. And so what the book is about, it's about, it's about questioning your competition or along the lines of what your competition is. And, and here's the example they give in the book. And this, this idea really formulates everything that I think about phone prospecting. Um, so they hire him, uh, they hire Clayton and they say, hey, we want you to come to this McDonald's in Massachusetts. We want you to try to understand why we're selling so many milkshakes at this McDonald's. More milkshakes are being sold here than anywhere else in the country. We don't understand it and we want to figure out what's going on. And so, and because if we think we can figure this out, we think we can sell more milkshakes. And so he comes in and um, looks at all the, all the data and they start asking all these questions to the people who are buying the milkshakes. And here's what they find out. Do you know why all these people, why more milkshakes were being sold at this McDonald's? Do you know why they were buying the milkshakes? I think I've heard this story. Wasn't it because it was a okay. longer, long commute? Yeah, it's a long commute. They're bored. They're bored. So they're buying the milkshakes to drink the, to drink the milkshake. So, um, so basically the kind of the idea is, hey, here, they're not buying it because they, because they want a sweet treat. They're buying it because they're bored and they're using this as a way to, to to curb the boredom why they why they drive well i started thinking through this um this idea um deeply and i'm looking at all of our clients and i came across this um i came across this thing that i thought was interesting uh, for our business which was basically everybody hiring us so when they would hire us and and sign a contract I could always go to the job board or the post, like the job boards, like LinkedIn, and I could see they were hiring for a salesperson. And then when I started reading through these posts, which I got enamored with, I started noticing like, oh, these are like little help wanted ads. These are basically telling us um, every one of these ads, the people that bought from us, they look the same. They all have the same language in them. And so what I found out in these, in these posts is that um, they essentially were saying, hey, we're, we need to get more people, we need to have more conversations uh, with our prospective buyers, so we're gonna hire salespeople. Mm -hmm. 
And I noticed if I read through these, it gave us all kinds of info. It gave me and my team all kinds of information to talk with the prospects about. Um, and so it became really the basis of our, our go-to market strategy, um, which is essentially, hey, we see you guys are hiring sales reps and cold calling is part of the job description. Uh, how are you planning on getting them on the phone with their, with their, you know, what's, what's the plan? Like, once you get them, what are you going to, what are you going to have them do? Well, we knew that you can. So the job posts are just so interesting because I believe that people hire um, people before they hire solutions. So your default typically is like, let's hire a person for that. I think it's natural to think that way. Nobody says let's hire a software for that. Yeah. I think most of the time you go people first and then, then you start thinking through, you know, software applications. I don't, I don't think it's in I don't think it's innately natural. Um, like if QuickBooks didn't come around, do, wouldn't people just continue to hire people to do that? Hmm. Your books on paper. Or they'd I mean, hire somebody who then would pick the software to help them scale their own <laughs> responsibility. They're like, they're, they're trying to be like, this is your problem. Yes. And so then if you want to use software to help solve it, great, but it is your problem. It is your problem. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's natural to want to make people like to put people in charge of the other things. So, so anyways, so when it comes to phone prospecting, you know, we started going through these job posts and we started realizing that it really laid out whether somebody was a good fit for our product or not, which is essentially for anybody that's listening. Um, we have a solution that delivers eight to 12 live conversations an hour, and it's a technology platform. And then there's, uh, there's what I really refer to as a human, human layer. Um, so anytime uh, there needs to be context to a call. So if you get an administrative assistant or you get a dial by directory and somebody needs somebody, uh, the technology can't, even with great AI, can't make these kind of real-time decisions we bring a person in to do that so it might look like navigating a phone prompt it might look like interacting with an admin um, but ultimately we're delivering real-time conversations to our uh, clients so they're logging into they're logging into our platform they're hitting go and they're talking live every two to four minutes with uh, live prospect um, that they put into our platform and so we're removing all the legwork the Dial, uh, all the dialing, all the dialing directories, all the voicemails, um, all the wait time, it's being condensed and then clients are the, the beneficiary of, of being able to get a whole day of prospecting done in an hour. That's great. Uh, but it all started with, it all, it all started with, um, I mean, I don't know what it started with. You can ask me questions. <laughs> I love it. Over here. That's good. Um, I was going to think it about taking it back to the human need to still be involved in sales. So let me think through my questions real quick and I'll, I'll pull it back with that. Um, so Brad, I want to come back to this idea that you suggested earlier about basically um, if somebody got hit by a bus at Salesforce, they wanted to know what had happened and what yeah. had been in that conversation. So somebody could pick it back up and continue to move on. But there's also this element of the buyer being so educated that they don't want necessarily a person that they're communicating with about their problems. They want to be a little more anonymous and do this freemium model and be able to upgrade and downgrade and buy more licenses without a human. So where is that balance I mean, between? Yeah, I think people, buyer want, both. I think people want both. I okay. mean, I, I think I think a lot of and I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple of examples. 
I'm going to give you an example. And I think you and I may have talked about this offline. So there's three retail. This is my personal belief. There's three retail shops here in um, Indianapolis that we, I think about as being really well, well-run businesses, Chick-fil-A, Culver's, and uh, Mike's car wash, cruise car wash. So it's a large car wash here in Indiana. It split one family. It used to be called Mike's. And then the Mike's guys took everything north of uh, Fort Wayne. Um, and then crew took everything uh, south of Fort Wayne. And so there's two car washes that are essentially run by the same family, but one branch got Mike and one branch got crew. So, um, okay. but um, they're everywhere in Indiana. I think they go through, uh, there's some in Ohio and, um, in uh, Michigan as well, but primarily an Indiana car wash. And um, so you've got Chick-fil-A, which I think everybody will be, uh, understand. You've got um, Culver's, which uh, if you're in the Midwest, you probably recognize the name. And then you've got Cruz, which I think most people in Indiana, maybe not the Midwest, they'll recognize. Now, the thing that I find really super interesting about all three of these, they all have lines wrapped around the building and they all do one thing that everybody else doesn't do. They have people just all throughout the process. So in all three of these options, you can choose automatic. You can choose to do the kiosk. They have, they have, it. they have oh, everything that you would expect. The kiosk, the drive-through, the app, they have an option for you to do that. And where do 95% of the people actually go? They're going through the drive-through and interacting with people. So I think the one thing we got to be really careful of when we think about phone prospecting and we think about all the annoyances and all the things that people say, which some of the things are true, right? Um, phone call, you know, calling me to talk to me about um, finance, that's not my bucket. I'm not going to be interested in calling me and talking to me. There's several topics that are simply not things that I'm going to be interested in that are going to be turnoffs. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you call me about the right things, you're going to get my, my interest. And so here's where, here where I'm going with this. I think we got to be really careful when we ask people how they feel about certain things, like the sales cycle, like, you know, do you want to deal with a salesperson? Okay. I'm going to tell you no, but Culver's Chick-fil-A and, um, you know, all those, I guarantee 90% of those people say they hate the drive-through, mm. but they're doing it anyway. So the question I think you have to ask is, are they doing it because they've created a pattern that they can't break? Or are they doing it because they're craving human interaction? And it could be a combination of both. But I think we really underplay, you know, if people hated it so bad, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go through the drive-through. I just don't, yeah. I just believe if they, if they hate it as much as they say they hate, hate it they wouldn't go through the drive-thru but i think there's deep down um there's a deep desire to interact with humans to feel heard and, and get your problem truly solved yeah i agree yeah i think there's a deep you i think you and i you had mentioned that um what was that line about um from the play from the hbo movie that you talked about the uh, david burns yes yeah he said that the most interesting thing that another human can look at is another human human yeah i mean so it's unpredictable so, and it's different and it's real yeah and i think we crave i think we crave we crave real yeah and we create and we crave interactions with other people i just i just I, you know i could get on a soapbox about um i think it's real and maybe it's because i'm i you know i'm I'm on LinkedIn, so I read a lot of dumb stuff, and I think it's super easy to take 
um, things that sound cool and then assume those are the right um, kind of cliche terms. And then you hear them said over and over and over on the internet. And it's easy to sort of take those and assume those to be reality without questioning what's being said. And there's just a lot of dumb stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> like not true. That's not true. That's, that's not true. That's actually not true. But wrong, wrong. That's not true. I mean, I just read dumb stuff all day. Yeah. People I'm going for shock factor. <laughs> yeah, it's shock factor. And look, I mean, at some point people start believing, you know, uh, an example. I was trying to, I was writing a blog post for the business and I pull up um, some stats. And as I'm reading through these stats, since we're doing this on the fly, I can't remember the topic and I can't remember the website or I'd pull it up. But it basically was a post about the topic I was writing on. And they had written out all these statistics to support their position. They were all in conflict with one another. So they were you, they were, they were trying to support them, but I'm reading them like those are all in con like this A and B can't be true if C is true. So I'm reading through this. I'm like, these are all, these are not, they, they don't support it. They they actually um, what is it if you deep like I want to make some words up, D support. Contradict. It, it con contradict. There we go. They contradict. <laughs> D support. I like that. I like I like that. Let's go with D support. Love it. So that's good. No, I'm thinking about your example with the fast food and the drive-through scenario too. I think a lot of times people become adverse to it because of one bad experience, or like they don't want to be called on by somebody they fill out a form for on the website. They just want to, you know, oh, demo like, without a human because they had one bad salesperson ruin the experience for them. But if you can be a Chick-fil-A or a Culver's and give them an elevated experience of that same thing, then they're like, okay, this I'm willing to agree to. But there's this fear of like, what if it's bad? What if they won't stop calling me? That puts a barrier. Oh, no, hundred percent. Well, I mean, let's use the, let, uh, let's use the car. Let's use the car dealership. Cause that's the best, that's yeah. the best example of real sales, right? So easy sales. Sleazy, yeah. Okay. So trying to buy a Bronco, which if anybody's been listening to me on any other channel, they know I'm like all about buying the Bronco, but I've driven it like six times and I hate it every time, but I just keep driving it. Like I want to nice. like it. I really want to like it. So I just keep test driving, but pulling a lot. Um, and what had happened is I knew these things were coming off of the dealer programs. And so what it ha what happens is they've been pumping this thing up for a really long time and they say, hey, dealers, we're going to uh, have you, everybody have a, a Bronco on site. So we're going to sell you to them, but you got to hold on to them for six months. So I knew they were coming out of their dealer program. And so they start coming on market and they're used. And I'm like, okay, awesome. I'm going to go get one. So I go get one. I, I drove one around at a dealership. I wasn't going to buy this one because I didn't want to get pressured. And so I drove it around. I hated it. I parked it. And the dude's like, that was so fast. I was like, oh man, it's just, it's not going to work. And, um, and so um, he's like, okay. so I did that. So then I drove another one and it was like a little bit better because I got the high end, like the highest end one. Um, so I'm like, oh, it's kind of, but my daughter's like, man, you were working so hard to try to talk yourself into this. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't think you really like this. I think you just want to get another truck. And I'm like, you know, you're right. I do want to go get another truck. So I go get another truck and um, then I go, um, I was with my daughter and we rented a Jeep 
and um, I'm driving the driving the Jeep. I'm like, okay, let's get a let's go back to this Bronco idea. So go to the lot. I get on the lot, and I'm looking at this one that they had um, for sale by my house. And I'm looking, and the guy comes out. I'm like, oh man, you got me. He's like, I'm not trying to get you. I'm like, dude, that's exactly what you're trying to do. You're totally trying to get me. I was like, you're like rolling up on me. Like he was like coming at me all fast. Um, <laughs> and um, so, but what proceeds to happen is he just pressured me. I just didn't like feeling pressured. Like I just, you know, I just wanted you to You already talk. were self-pressured. Yeah. Like, I mean, look, I, I knew I wanted it. What I really needed, and he did do this for me. So this was nice. I needed to like drive it around, you know, I'm. I needed to be able to talk myself into the story I was telling myself. And um, unfortunately I didn't, um, I didn't get to do that. I didn't do that. I I haven't bought one, but I definitely was telling myself a story Mm -hmm. Um, and I needed some time to talk myself into it. And he just kept pushing me and it wasn't pushing me closer to buying that. That wasn't, I wasn't going to walk. And I told him, I said, Hey, look, man, I know your sales manager and all the car guys say, if I walk off this lot, I'm not going to buy this car. But that's not true. I'm buying something. I might not buy in the timeline you want me to buy, but I'm going to buy a car. So like, I prefer you're the guy that I call because I had a good experience with, not because you pressured me into, you know, buying this Bronco that I'm not 100% sure I want. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, I think that's how we think about sales is like, unfortunately we use car salespeople and that experience. But I think the point of that story is like, people don't like to feel pressured, Yeah, you know? And I think particularly as we're talking about um, phone prospect, you know, phone prospect, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, and I actually, I think I'm going to get on the phone and, and try this as a tactic, which is, you know, Hey, Rebecca, here's why I'm calling you. And I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. I've never had anybody just be like, hey, I'm trying to talk to you. I mean, and not, when she said, I'm not trying to sell you, that's like, to me, that's the, that's, that works in, that is not, that actually works in reverse. As soon as you say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sell you. I'm not trying to generate an appointment with you. If you, because those things are said today, mm-hmm. people immediately don't believe you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a lot wrong with phone prospecting. I think a substantial amount of it has to do with strategy. Um, that people don't do their homework. Um, I don't believe there's not a breadcrumb. Uh, I believe everybody is giving off breadcrumbs that explain uh, the problems they have, whether it's on a job board or whether it's with a product. Um, I think every time I've ever picked up a phone call from a number that I haven't recognized, um, there's two things that have gone through my mind. And I think this goes through everybody's mind. Who beep is this and who and why beep, why are they calling me right you're immediately thinking yourself who is this and why are they calling me and i think the better you can answer those questions the better the conversation goes so like an example would be um uh colin and his guys do uh live calling using our platform on wednesday um they call people up and they say you know hey do you have a, you know hey do you have a podcast and immediately people say no or yes, typically no. That's a different phone call than sitting down, doing the research, finding everybody that has a podcast or doesn't have a podcast. Let's say everybody that doesn't have a podcast. And then we call you up and say, hey, Rebecca, we see you have been on podcasts, mm-hmm. like three of them, but you don't have a podcast. Like what's, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. That's a whole different conversation in my mind. That's a conversation. 
Um, so anyways, you're, you're like getting me on all the, on all the hot top topics. Most people yeah. just don't do the work. I mean, mm-hmm. if I call you up and I have a purpose, um, there's going to be about two seconds of, you know, maybe weirdness cause you don't know me, but I, I just think, I think most people just want to know what, why are you calling me? And the better you can answer that question, I think the better you pass go. That's good. I like it. Let's switch gears to chatting about your podcast. Since mm. you brushed Let's on the topic it. a little bit, the Decision Point podcast. I've been lucky enough to be a guest on it. Was able to share. And I was my lucky enough to have you. Sales- oh, thank you. <laughs> was able to share my wacky sales journey. Um, but what is the vision for that show for you, and how do you leverage it within your business today? Yeah, so I, so I would say it's evolving. So it initially started out a uh, marketing manager that I brought on um, had a podcast background, and he presented mm-hmm. me with an idea. Uh, about start a podcast and uh, pitched me on kind of three ideas. You know, one, it gave us a constant flow of content. Two, it would be a place for us to drive in revenue. And then uh, the third one would be, you know, it'd be a great relational builder. And so when he pitched it, I'm like, hey, let's do it. Now, in my mind, what I thought was going to happen was we were going to run this podcast and it was going to be this breakthrough lead generation channel. Mm -hmm. And um, that has not been the case, but I, I have, um, there's several kind of things I would, I would, I want to say about the podcast. So the first thing I would say is it, it created a steady or has created, continues to create a steady flow of content. So, um, we're, we're a small team we don't have a huge marketing department. Um, and so by launching the podcast, we were able to, to really get a consistent flow of content distributed without ever having to make a calendar, you know, a content calendar, having to come up with topics, um, having to meet on Saturday and for coffees and, um, and donuts to try to figure out how we were going to take these ideas to market. We just got on, started having conversations and started posting. So I would say like right out of the gate, it was a, it was like, if you were going to advertise for it, I would say it was like instant marketing. It just immediately allowed you to, to post stuff and go and go live. Um, we made a little bit of a, um, like a strategy shift. So um, initially the podcast was really around adversity and sales. And so I felt like, and some of this could be my personality. Um, you and I have talked about the, the, the Enneagram. Um, I'm an eight. So everything is like, you know, everything's a fight and a, and a challenge and it's, you know, it's all power centric and based. And so sales to me sometimes feels a little bit like warfare, right? Now, I don't know if that, if it, if it's that way or not, but I think in general, there's a little bit of friction, right? And so um, what I can say, I think regardless of what personality you have, um, I think sales is full and rot with ups and downs. And so you, you, you know, the deals always come in smaller, not larger, right? Very rarely does a client call you and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to 2X this, this deal that we, you know, you you don't go through procurement and come out the other side with more money, not less. Right. Have you ever done that? Uh, One time did it ever happen? Like I literally had a customer. It was like, we have an open PO. And I was like, okay, do not get used to this. (laughs) This is a one, it's in a lifetime situation and also don't abuse it. Uh, Other than that, I mean, yeah, it's usually yeah, it's it's always uh, it's you know, and I definitely I think everybody's probably been the beneficiary of of random budget money, right? 
uh, that comes at the end of the year. But most of the time, you know, in, in normal sales fair, as you're selling, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a friction job, right? There's a lot of friction. There's ups, there's downs, there's emotions, um, there's commitments that are um, made and broken, there's highs, there's lows. I mean, and, and there's a lot of stuff on what to say and how to say it. There's not a lot of podcasts out there on like how to keep it between the, how to, how to stay tough um, when you're selling. And so that was the initial idea is like, Hey, let's, let's do mental toughness on, um, and let's just really focus around, um, you know, the mental, mental game, but we made a shift. Cause I felt like what was happening was, um, it was kind of an entrepreneurial podcast where it's like, I'm just, you know, I'm like naturally attracted to, to other entrepreneurs. I'm attracted to risk. Like I just yeah. am attracted to risk. So um, it's harder for me to connect with somebody that doesn't have a risk profile. Um, so, um, so quickly we sort of shifted away from the mental toughness and, and we, after about a year and we got into really focusing more on, on sales. And so I bring people on every week, um, decision point, you know, maybe we should rename it. It was basically about the, the important decisions that you make in your life, the, the tough decisions you make in your life. Um, after about a year, we sh really shifted hard into just sales. So I just invite sales leaders on from a variety of different spaces. And we just talk uh, the game of sales um, and uh, things that they're passionate about. And so I've had a really good, which kind of gets to the one of the core points of uh, the podcast, which I found it to be a really, really good relational builder. Um, and I, I, almost an irreplaceable re relational builder. And um, it's just so easy to get people on to I think the biggest thing about a podcast is there's there's no there's no motives right like you're on here you're sharing your story I'm on here I'm sharing my story there's no you know extra room we're going to go in where you're going to show me the slideshow I don't get to see the condo from floor 13 you know I don't have yeah. to stay here for four days and feel guilty um you know, it's just, we're just having, we're just talking and, and um, getting to know each other. And so I, I think it's, um, I think there's a lot of value around podcasting. Um, I know that um, there's some people believe that, uh, that the podcast will replace the website. I don't know. It may, um, you know, I, I think it's a little different like uh, form. So I don't know if it'll replace the website, but um, I definitely think it's beneficial um, I definitely think that uh, it creates an avenue for you to communicate your message. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. It's, you know, it, it is hard. You and I were sort of talking about this beforehand. There are moving parts and there's a lot to do and more than I, I, I expected when I got started. Um, I did not produce the podcast. I've never produced the podcast and I've done little of the, uh, like the, the editing and, uh, distribution piece, of, like distribution from like, uh, when I think about that, I'm more thinking about like the creation. Yeah. Um, I've really been the personality and I show up and, and uh, ask questions and, and, uh, and, and dialogue. So I've not had to actually create, but I will say this, if you're thinking about doing a podcast, it probably is um, very helpful to find somebody, whether it's a sales cast or somebody else to produce your show. Cause it definitely makes it's, I think it's worth the, uh, it's worth paying for the creation and not getting stuck. Um, Cause I think what happens is people get, you know, they do, they like the podcast piece, but then they try to do the creation piece and 
that's why there's only five of these on the internet. Like the average person only produces five podcasts because uh, they, they run around the barn a couple of times and get tired. Interesting. I hadn't heard that stat. Yeah. So you mentioned good. the game of sales. I'm going to tell him. I just totally made this. that up. So yeah, you're good. But I, I want this to be like a short clip. So I'm going to okay. re-ask the question so we can be like clean. Um, Am I driving you crazy? No, you're good. Oh, okay. I, I, I just what you have so far is going to be hard to short clip so i'm trying okay. to get i'm trying to get you're trying to get some now clips. okay these, i have two more questions for you though okay. i would love to be okay i did not want, be I did not a, want a to cause clip. you pain so go you're good no it's not pain <laughs> it's just i'm thinking about the end product no so. perfect okay so here's here's the, the question that can be short form so brad you talked about the game of sales so not sure how much you've thought about this in the past but i'm curious if you have an opinion of sales is it more art or more a science no that's a really that's a really good question um i think it's a i think it's a combination of things i think it's a combination of art and science i think there's a there's a there's definitely a dice roll ratio uh attached to sales i, I do not i just flat disagree with people who try to say sales is not a numbers game i don't know how you can make it anything other than a numbers game um, you know, it's no different than adding stats around an athlete. I mean, it's, it's, it's opportunities and outcomes. Um, so I think it's very, it's very mathematical. Uh, definitely think there's a science to it, but I think there's a, I think there's an art too. Um, and you know, there's a finesse to it and, and there's a, there's a people skill. We've all been in places where we've interacted with people that, that make your, um, you know, kind of, that kind of rub you like a rub you backwards, like the like the cat, you know, rub backwards on yeah. the, the grain. Uh, we don't like that. So there is an art to it uh, for sure. So I would say it's equally sci science and art or math and art, however you want to think about it. That's good. Now I have a question for you around principles. I feel like as I've gotten to know you, I see little flavors and bits and pieces of what would be a principle to you, but I would love to hear if you had to pick one, what is that core principle that's helped you be successful in business? Um, I think it's keep going. I had a really big business failure come out of my first business, like just catastrophic, mm -hmm. super painful, um, hard to think about. But I, I uh, had an um, entrepreneur, I call him a mentor, just said, hey, man, keep going. And so that's really been my, my primary. There were some times in the business where um, I think it would have been easy to quit the, I had this constant mental image, which was um, when you're lifting, um, I thought about, there were several years where the business, where the, if the business was the, the bar, it was not, no one ever had to stick their hand into, it was never going to crush my chest, but it definitely was slow. You know, like there were some years where it was like really hard to get a full rep in. And then over time, you know, year after year after year, it's just gotten easier and easier and easier. I, and the business has started to compound. Um, and so um, I would say the biggest thing is, is to just have continued to go, uh, just keep moving. Very good. I love it. Well, Brad, you're fabulous. Huge fan of you and all the work you're doing at Monster Connect and with the Decision Point podcast. I'll make sure everybody has links to find you on all platforms where you currently live. And thanks for coming on the show. All right. Hey, this soon. was this was awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Brad.